Hey, what's up, church? And good morning. My name is Gavin. I serve as one of the pastors here for City Light. And uh, it's my joy and privilege to bring the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. And uh, we will get right to work this morning. As you do that, let me say this is a fun season for City Light. I love the fall. Uh, all the you know ministries and everything is kicking off. City Light U kicked off this last week. They had over 150 college students, y'all, at City Light U this week. That's incredible. Uh, any college students in the room? Both of you. Oh, there you go. Uh, we love you guys. Thank you for investing in your faith in college. Our church exists um, for everyone, but in particular for you guys. Thank you for going after Jesus. City Light Lincoln launched their City Light U this week. They had over 300 undergraduate students from UNL in their college ministry, and they're launching a City Light U in Kearney at, City, at UNK. Uh, this year as well. So incredible. City Light Lincoln is hoping to plant a church in Kearney then in the wake of the college ministry. So incredible things are happening in our city. What a fun season and across our state. Uh, In our city, Providence, our latest uh, church plant, they launch in two weeks. So do pray for those guys. God's doing extraordinary work through them. They have about 180 that are part of their core team to launch that church. Uh, In addition, My City and Mission Church are two other great church plants in our city that we have nothing to do with. (laughs) Um, But they're great churches. And so Praise God, the gospel is going forth in our city. Churches are being planted. More people are hearing about Jesus. And uh, we are just thrilled to get to be a small part of that. Uh, If you're new to us this morning, welcome. And uh, so glad you're here. We're in the middle of a short series that we do every year on our core values. So um, we love the Bible. We teach through the Bible, chapter, chapter, verse to verse. But heading into the fall, we always want to kind of recalibrate the proverbial compass back to true north and help orient ourselves around our core values. What are the primary things that drive what we're doing as a church? And uh, we have summarized those core values by four directional arrows for shorthand. And uh, those are down, up, what church? In and out. And so those are just shorthand ways to remember the rhythms and values we have as a church. The down is the epicenter of everything we do as a church. The down stands for the gospel. The good news that God himself came down to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That God, when we fell into our sin, did not stand aloof and indifferent in heaven. He did not bark down some orders that we might ascend to him through moral obedience and church attendance. Instead, he came down as the substitute savior. He lived the life that we ought. He died the death that we should. And he rose victorious to give us eternal life as a free gift to all who would receive. And so everything we do is a reaction to what God has done for us. He is a benevolent God. We are on the receiving end of his grace, which we did not earn and we did not deserve. And yet, we say, as a church, we do want to respond. So we respond upward in what we call spiritual formation. We talked about that last week. We respond inward in community with one another. We're going to talk about that next week. This morning, I want to talk about responding outward on the mission of God. That God has invited us into a mission. Most simply, that word mission comes from the great commission that Jesus has called his church to a worldwide disciple-making mission. And uh, as we get started talking about living as missionaries, responding outward in mission, uh, let me start by saying this. Some of you guys know that Chris and I can be a little competitive with one another. Uh, For those of you who are new, Chris is our other lead pastor. Now, by us being competitive, I mean that I beat Chris in everything. Um, (laughs) 
So uh, I run faster. I jump higher. We had a competition downstairs in the office, and I got my sticky note higher. Um, the Lord knows I spell better. Punctuation, things like this, less speeding tickets, all those are true. Um, I also beat him in basketball recently, which is amazing. So we played a game of 21. Chris, did, I can't remember, did I win or did you win that game? Yeah, I, okay, he's not going to admit it, but I, I beat Chris in basketball. So um, even though I'm better at most things than our brother Chris, I, I will admit that for the majority of my life, I have been extraordinarily and extremely uncoordinated and unathletic, okay? So it was quite this deceiving thing growing up. I always had a reasonably athletic build. And people think, well, you could probably do something. No, I can't. Um, I can run and I can dribble a basketball, but I can't do both at the same time. Like I run and the ball stays or I stay and the ball goes. I have never figured that out. Um, I can throw a football reasonably far. It just doesn't go in the direction that I intended I never got that part figured. I think that's why I gave myself to golf in high school. I competed in golf. You know what I like about golf? You don't have to run. You don't throw a ball. You don't catch a ball. Your only interaction with the ball is from a stationary position. (laughs) And you get to practice immediately before striking that ball. There's no other athletic, you know, thing where you can practice immediately before. Like, hold off defense. I'm just going to practice. I'm just going to get this. Okay, now the real one. But in golf, you, you get to do that. So, I say all that to say that for my entire life growing up, I was used to, um, when it came time to pick teams, you know, on the playground or in gym class, uh, to what I would call the, the weight of shame. And if y'all had the weight of shame, that's when you stand there in your shame as the team captains pick all of the girls and the people that are four years younger than you before they pick you for their basketball team. That was my weight of shame. I was rarely, if ever, picked you know, volitionally to be on someone's team. It was like by default, well, he's left over, you get him. And so it didn't really wound my ego. I never found a lot of personal identity and pride in my athletic prowess. But, but I say that to say this, something, something happened. I, I've shared with you guys, I met Jesus Christ in a personal way when I was 16. I had had some basic Christian fundamental building blocks, but I had never understood the good news of Jesus in a personal way that evoked the response of faith. That happened in a Bible study when I was 16. Walked through the book of Romans, and I understood what Christ had done in its personal nature, and I responded in faith. Now, when you trust Jesus and his saving work, you get all kinds of benefits. The absolute assurance of eternal life and your salvation. It's a benefit. You get the indwelling, empowering spirit of God that lives inside of you. That's a benefit. But one of the benefits of trusting Jesus that I think sort of took me by surprise how meaningful it was to me, was being invited into God's team. Not because I was great or God needed my help, but by his grace, he invited me into his mission, and I had a direction and a purpose for my life that was greater than myself. I didn't have to wonder in college and as a young adult, am I headed in the right direction? Is what I'm doing meaningful? Will I get to the end of my life and wonder if what I did made a difference? And I'm not talking about pastoral ministry. I'm talking about being caught up into the mission of God, even before I was a pastor, that I knew Jesus had invited me into his team by his grace. And what I want us to see this morning is that the invitation for all of us to join the team, to be a part of the mission of God is God's great good news grace to us. I think sometimes when the pastor says, we're going to talk about evangelism today and the mission of God, I think what happens in the minds of people is like, well, 
could be worse. He could preach on tithing. You know, it's like there's two sermons you want to skip church for, and that's like sharing your faith and sharing your money. Um, But I think the church historically, maybe even me, has done a poor job articulating what a gracious, gracious and amazing kind invitation it is that God would include us into his mission when, guys, he doesn't actually need us. This is God's grace to say, listen, I I don't want you chasing after false finish lines and insignificant projects. I'm going to allow you to invest your life in something that's going to have eternal meaning and impact for for all of eternity. And uh, when I met Jesus and joined the team of his mission, changed my life forever. And what I want to do this morning with us is sort of recapture from scripture this morning, this idea of joining God's mission. What does it mean to be a missional church. That's kind of a almost cliche, worn out phrase anymore. But from the Bible, understand what does it mean to be on mission with God? What is God's mission? How does this whole thing work? And uh, as we do in our core value series, I want it to be extraordinarily practical. So it's going to feel a little bit like a family meeting, probably more like a lecture than a preach, jump up and down kind of sermon. We'll get back to that soon. But I want to be very practical today. How does the mission of God shape the way we do church? And uh, so here's the way we're going to frame our time. I want to share from the Bible three truths about the mission of God. And then under each one of those, I want to kind of explain how that shapes us as a church. So if you have a notepad or your bulletin or iPhone or whatever it is, uh, I want to encourage you to write these down. The first truth I'd have you write down is this. God is a God on mission. Okay? So when we talk about the mission of God, we actually don't start with the activity of the church. Well, evangelism and discipleship and outreach and international missions and care for the poor and social justice. No, we actually need to go upstream and have a God-centric view of the mission of God. And what I want you to see is that God himself is a missionary. The theological term is missio dei, or the missional God, or the sense God. And we see this most prominently in the Trinity. One God, three persons, that is a missionary team. So God the Father creates the world. He creates the man and the woman in his image. You fall into sin and folly. How does God go about redeeming the world from the sin that has entered into it? He sends a missionary, his son, Jesus Christ, in the world. Jesus is the first and ultimate missionary. Look with me at John 3.17. I'm going to go through some quick. They'll all be on the board. John 3.17. It says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 1 John 4 and 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John 5 and 30, I can do nothing on my own, Jesus says, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus, God the Son, is sent by God the Father into the world on mission to save sinners by grace for his glory. Jesus comes, does that, completes his mission on the cross, raises victoriously, ascends into heaven. What does God the Son do then? He sends the Holy Spirit, our next missionary. John 16, 7. We read it last week. Jesus said to his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, so when we talk about the mission of God, we have to start with God. This mission is a God thing. Our God is the missionary God. Our God is the one who owns the mission. Our God is the one who is in the world working to redeem all things. 
He is on a mission to reverse the effects of the fall. He is on a mission to seek and save the lost. God is the missionary who will ultimately complete and perfect his mission on that last day when he returns bodily and physically to rule and reign for all of eternity. And so mission starts with God. God is a missionary work. And City Light, he's pretty good at it. He doesn't actually need our help. That's the thing about God. The book of Acts says God is not served by human hands as though he had anything that he needs. God invites us into his mission in the same way that I invite my two sons into my home improvement projects. Dads all laugh because you know what all that entails. I invite them along because I love them. They are my sons and I have a relationship with them. And together we will get the project accomplished much slower. (laughs) Y'all with me? So we talk about the mission of God. We need to start with God. Are you with me? I think the missional church became a trend like 10 years ago, and everyone thought it was just guys like young white preachers in skinny jeans with plaid that drink craft beer. It's like that was the missional. No, no, no. We got to go way upstream and realize that God for all of eternity has been a missionary God, and he is the ultimate missionary. In fact, missiologist Alan Hirsch says it this way. He says, it's not so much that the church has a mission, it's that the mission of God has a church. Are you with me? God is the ultimate missionary, and we are his missionary agency in the world. So City Light, first point, I want you to see that God is the ultimate missionary, and I want you to take a deep breath. Before we talk about sharing your faith, inviting people, we first need to see and appreciate the fact that we are the beneficiaries of our missionary God. It is good news that we have a missional God because he came on mission to save us. Amen? Amen. And so how does that shape the way we do church? How does that shape the way we do sermons, the way we open scripture, the way we do groups? A few things. Number one, at the risk of sounding redundant from the last two weeks, I want to say it again. Every Sunday... From this pulpit, we're going to hear and be reminded that Jesus is the hero and we are the rescued ones. You with me? What that means is for our preaching team, our communication team, we want to not only lead out of our strength, but primarily out of our weakness. In other words, we don't want to just tell stories of, well, let me tell you how I've applied this well and I'm really rocking it with Jesus, you know, so you can do it like we want to tell as many stories where we have missed the mark, struggle in sin, are leading out of weakness, and are looking to our hero, Jesus Christ, our senior pastor, Jesus Christ, who is the hero of the story, to remind us one hero, a lot of rescued folks by means of the gospel. Amen? Uh, Additionally, I would say when, when ministry goes well, we want to make a habit and create a culture of giving all glory to God. That's not cliche. That's not unimportant. When we say glory to God, we mean it. Jesus is the hero. So when things go well, so for example, City Light Lincoln. I'll just be honest, that's one of my favorite things going on in the whole City Light movement right now. So uh, Sam and Chris and I were in Lincoln on Thursday night as a part of their advisory team and just taking inventory of what God is doing. You guys, City Light Lincoln launched in January. That was like eight, that's not even nine months ago, you know? They're not even a toddler, they're in diapers. I mean, that's just where they are in a city that none of us lived in. So it's not like transfer growth. Well, yeah, half the church went over there. No, it's it's a new city. We sent a dude from Omaha to plant a church. In not even nine months, they had 750 people at their Sunday morning worship gathering last week. It's incredible. They just went to three gatherings. 
their city group has over 300 people. The week before our baptisms in Omaha, they had their baptisms, and 18 new Christians got baptized, making their total of 50 new Christians, mostly new Christians, that got baptized at City Light Lincoln. That's absolutely incredible. They're talking about planting a church in Kearney. Okay, so nuts. Uh, they're going to make us look slow and small here in a couple of years. Like, do you guys ever do anything? We planted you. Chill out. Anyway, <laughs> um, so when we look at that, here's how we don't celebrate. Man, Mo and Austin, they're just so dynamic and charismatic. Their sermons are so great. They're so well-educated. Our plan is just being executed just right. You know, no, I know Mo and Austin. I love them, but they're not that impressive. You know, it's like, it's kind of like Chris and I. It's disappointing once you actually get to know us. We're very <laughs> underwhelming. <laughs> They're pretty incompetent. Yeah, exactly. So Austin, I think he had preached three sermons before we had planted him in Lincoln. He was our college intern six months prior. I don't think he had a driver's license yet. I don't think he was old enough. He still can't see over the wheel. Austin, if you're watching this, I'm just, I, I've seen your phone book. I know how you get from A to B. And so... <laughs> and Mo, I love him, but you, what do we say? We say, man, God is writing an incredible story in Lincoln. When those guys went down there on a step of faith, there was no building, there was no money, there was no team, but they heard the voice of God calling, they took a step of faith, and we say, glory to God. God is the missionary in Lincoln, and by his grace, he is bringing people along this journey and investing them and using it by his grace as a good gift. He didn't need anybody. God doesn't need Austin and Mo. He doesn't need you and me. He is the missionary. He's a great missionary. He's good at what he does. And by his grace, he chooses to use people like us. Which brings me to my second point. Write this down. First point was God is a God on mission. The second point is we are God's sent people. And so God's got this thing handled, but for whatever reason, in his divine grace, he chooses us as his means of accomplishing his mission in the world. And the good news for us is that to become a Christian doesn't mean to trust Jesus and wait for heaven. We get to trust Jesus and join mission, join Jesus in the mission that he is doing. We are his sent ones. Let me show you in the Bible, John 20 and verse 21. It says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You see that? Our missionary God sends out his disciples, his missionaries, John 17 and 18, as Jesus prays to the Father. He says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So what I want you to see is that um, the idea of us joining the mission of God is secondarily about our activity, but primarily about our identity. So we go upstream to say mission starts with God. He's the missionary. Secondarily, before we do anything, we need to understand that that is who we are as God's people. We are his sent ones. We are his ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents one king or sovereign nation to another on its behalf. We are ambassadors of our King Jesus Christ and his kingdom on this earth. We are strangers here, representative of Jesus Christ. And so all of us are God's sent ones. What that means, City Light, is that missionaries are not just the paid professionals that we send overseas. That is important. God's mission is a worldwide mission. And every local church needs to participate in his work among the nations. But, that also, uh, what, but what the scripture also says is that each one of us is a missionary right where we live, work, and play. 
That means your neighborhood, your dorm, your apartment, you do not live there by accident. You live there because God sent you there to represent him. The places you work and the places you study and the places you exercise are not an accident. You were sent there by God. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 says that God has chosen the times and places in which we live. That means where you are in life is not circumstance. It's not happenstance. It is God's providence (laughs) to put you there. See what I did there? It flowed better in my head. We have a divine sovereign God who has sent you, each one of you, Christian, to be his representative where you live, work, and play. Okay. So how does this shape the way we do and think about church? If our God is a missionary God, if we are his sent people, how does that shape the way we preach and do discipleship in the group? Well, number one, I would say this. We want to do our best to break down the traditional idea that ministry is done by the paid professionals. We want to destroy this false dichotomy that there's like sacred work and secular work. Well, do you do ministry? No, I work at the post office. No, you do ministry because you are a Christian. So for every Christian, we are called and sent. Some of us work at OPS, some at the med center, some in the schools, some build houses, some make coffee, some preach sermons, but we are God's sent representative, each living out our calling in the world. And so Even in our sermon preaching, what we want to do is not only champion the stories of people meeting Jesus and God at work inside of these four walls. That's important. God meets us here, but that's one half of the church. Where we're really going to see God at work is the people in this room on mission, living out their identity as God's called and sent ambassadors into the world. We want to share stories of people meeting Jesus and growing as disciples in the context of city groups and in break rooms and in living rooms and in coffee shops and in dorm rooms and in student unions. And so we are God's called and sent ones. Now, for you, very practically, you might be thinking, that's a great idea, but how do I do, you know, I don't feel like a missionary. What does that look like? So let me say, we start with identity. We need to know it's who we are. So the question is not, are we missionaries? Well, we are. It's just, how well are we doing representing Jesus but then second, just some practical coaching, because we, we need to work on this. We need to get better. We're not, not trying to prove anything, but by God's grace, we need to steward the opportunities we have. I'd give you four things, very practical, that you can just do this week to start living out of your identity. Number one, pray. Missionaries, pray. Pray for your workplace. Pray, pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your dormitory. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. The first thing we can do is pray. And yes, we pray for opportunities to share the gospel, but we just also pray, pray for God's blessing on that place. That God would provide for that business, that it would flourish, that your neighborhood would be terrific, that God would heal the sick and bring the kingdom of God, and so we pray. Second thing we do is we look for opportunities to share. We share our testimony. If God is the missionary and we are the rescued ones, then our lead foot in our own missionary journey should just be our testimonies. Let me tell you, I'm I'm not here to tell you what to do. Let me tell you what God has done for me. And a little just tool I've shared with you guys before. It's been very helpful for me thinking about living as a missionary in my neighborhood or elsewhere. Um, is a, a little tool that says, pray for doors, check doors, respect doors. Read it in a book 100 years ago. But it stuck with me. By that, I mean pray for doors. So you're going to a block party. You're going into the office. God, you pray for doors. God, would there be doors of opportunity for me to love somebody, for me to share the gospel, for me to tell my story? So you pray for doors, and then you check doors, right? You bring up God, you talk about church, talk about what you read, talk about in your city group. You'll know in about five seconds if that's an open door or a closed door. Are you with me? 
You know when that door's closed because they're going to steer the conversation. So the third point, you respect the door. If it's closed, that's okay. God's the missionary, not you. We are sent by, if the door's closed, that's okay. Continue to pray. But if the door is open, then we walk through the door. We walk through the door. We share our faith. We share the gospel. We share our story. And uh, we, we just unapologetically want to get better at this as a church, okay? We want to be prepared for those moments. Talking about Jesus should be the most natural thing we do. Did you know that? Sometimes it's foreign and awkward. We want to get better. That should, that should be as natural as me talking about my kids, talking about Jesus Christ. So to help you, uh, on September 6th, we're doing evangelism class. Pastor Phil's going to lead that. He has the spiritual gift of evangelism, has some great tools, worked with crew for a long time, has done this, and uh, he leads someone to Christ about every 12 hours. I don't know how he does it. He's been in Omaha for like six months. He's more evangelism fruit than I have in a decade, but I'll get there. Anyway, that's him. The last thing I would just say, um, look for opportunities to care for the poor and the marginalized in your context. The summer I've been reading through the Old Testament, especially in Jeremiah. I've been journaling through it lately. One of God's greatest concerns, one of his greatest judgments against the nation of Israel was not only their idolatry and how they had forgotten him, it was how they oppressed the poor and took advantage of the outsider. And so just look at your workplace. Are there, are there injustices? You know, are there people being taken advantage of and stepped on for other people to climb? Would you be a voice of justice and a voice of equity? Would you look out for the outsource or for the, for the under-resourced and the, and the poor person in your context? That's one way we represent Jesus where we live, work, and play. Um, last thing I would say about being sent ones, in the same way that we want everyone to be involved in ministry, we also don't want to let our pastors off the hook in the neighborhood, okay? That means we too are not called just to be you know, pastors in the pulpit, but to be sent ones everywhere we go. So Chris and I have the saying, you can't be, a gospel be- uh, can't be a gospel beast in the pulpit and a wimp in the neighborhood, right? So don't come up here and be the big Jesus guy and preach cool, bold sermons and then have no fruit in your neighborhood. Don't be a wimp. If you're going to be bold in the pulpit, you need to be bold and have integrity in your life to live your faith and be a missionary. So we hold each other accountable. It's great. You let a thousand people to the Lord at a rally. Does anyone in your neighborhood know you're a Christian? Have you had people into your home? Have you shared your food and shared your life and shared your faith? And uh, I just want to say for our pastors, these guys are men of integrity. They are pace setters for our church, not because they're pastors, but because they're following the prompting of Jesus Christ. So Chris regularly shares the gospel in his neighborhood, Chris and Kristen. They have discipleship happening in their home. These are not paid ministry hours. This is them cleaning their house, feeding people, sharing the gospel, walking with people that will never even step foot in this building. He's baptized multiple neighbors. Phil and Joe. Phil led someone to Christ last week. Joe led someone to Christ this week. And so I just want you to know the call is for all of us. We are all being sent out by God. So first thing I want you to see, God is the missionary God. Second thing, we are God-sent people. And the third thing I want to help us understand is this, that we are sent as a team. Almost always, God's mission is accomplished in community. Think about that. God himself operates as a missionary team. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working together in complementary roles, sending and serving one another, minister to the world as a team. When Jesus came to the earth, as soon as he started his public ministry, was the first thing he did. Assembled a team. He's got the three and the 12, and he puts a team. God himself works as a team. 
When he sends out the 72 in Luke chapter 10, how does he send them out? As a team, two by two. Get to the book of Acts, the radical and rapid church planting movement that we see recorded in Scripture. How are the churches planted? As teams. Do you know we never see the word lead pastor in the Bible? It's teams, elders, missionary teams, scattered groups living on mission together. Even the apostle Paul, the mega awesome apostle, never went alone. He's got Barnabas, he's got Timothy, he's got Silas, he's got teammates, he's got young dudes that he's training up. And they never left a church plant until what? They had a team of elders to lead the thing. And so listen, we are all invited to do this as a team, not as Rambo missionaries to win the world for Jesus on our own. Let me show you what this looks like in the context of the church. Look at Romans 12, verses 4 through 6. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that what? Differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And then he goes on to talk about all the different ways that we are gifted. So while we have to understand a personal identity, we are all called and sent into our spheres. We don't do it alone. Our primary and most biblical witness in the world will be what we do as a church team. What that means is that even if you're not the extroverted evangelist like Chris Haruska, that's okay. You have a role to play. We each have different strengths. And so if you've got the spiritual gifts of hospitality or mercy, financial giving or service, administration, you have a role to play. And our best witness is the witness of the whole body living out the mission of God together. That means you, yes, you are indispensable to the mission of God. It doesn't matter if you're good with words or numbers or neither. It doesn't matter if you're athletic or you're like me. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're physically or emotionally disabled. Each one of us is beautifully and intricately made, and together we paint a picture to the world of the body of Christ, and we are his missionary team together. Jesus said they will know that you are Christians by your love for one another. Even the way we do the in the community is actually our best out. Let me just share kind of a fun story of how my wife and I have seen this play out over the last year. So um, we started a city group in our neighborhood. Um, January, did we decide? So Sarah and I moved into a new neighborhood about a year and a half ago. And we moved in this neighborhood. We prayed, God, uh, if you're sending us here, we want to be truly sent by you on mission. And so we want to be used by you in this neighborhood. We prayed for two things. We prayed, number one, God, would there be other Christians there that we can do ministry with? And number two, would there be some early fruit so that we don't get discouraged, like a new Christian or some stuff happen right away? Uh, in our last neighborhood, we were there for 10 years. Great neighborhood. We saw zero people come to faith. And we tried, and we had all, it just never got traction. So it was like, God, send us a team and send us some fruit. That was our honest prayer. And God answered our prayers in an amazing way. So moving to the neighborhood, praying for the neighborhood, we meet Christians. There were Christians there. They just weren't connected providentially to a local church yet. And so they love Jesus. They want to walk with Jesus. Do you have a church? No, we don't. Can we come to yours? Yeah, you can come. That's wonderful. Absolutely. You can do that. And so become some of our best friends. They're the Euler sitting up here. And then we meet the Johnsons, also marginally connected to a church, but love Jesus. Christian people, we become a team. We start getting together and we start praying for the neighborhood. We start doing Bible studies and we start eating together. 
cutting-edge, you know, ministry folks, cutting-edge. We had an app and wrote a book. It was amazing. Eat food, pray, study Bible. Um, and, and then, you know, we read a heart for the neighborhoods as we're praying for the neighborhood and trying to get creative about ways to engage the neighborhood. We started a monthly meal. And the centerpiece of the meal is biblical. It's bacon. And it really drew in. So we have a bacon dinner the first Friday of every month. And it's varied from 20 people to 30 to almost 50 probably at our biggest one. And other neighbors are hosting it now. And what happened was everyone used their spiritual gifts to make this happen. So um, is anyone who knows me well knows I am not highly administratively gifted. I forget things, a little ADHD, like check your email or look at a calendar or, you know, the struggle is real. So we have some people who are administratively gifted, so they send out emails, this thing called a calendar. We found that to be very helpful. And <laughs> invitations. Other people have the gift of hospitality, so they can clean their house and welcome people in and cook food and make them feel loved. Others have the gift of evangelism, so they are the inviters and the encouragers and sharing their testimony. Some have the gift of teaching, and so I bring the content for the Bible study and help us stay focused on the gospel, and God starts to work in our neighborhood. And then we prayed, God, we want to be used in a bigger way in our neighborhood. How do we start to be a light here? And and we really felt like... um, it's not only going to happen through evangelism, that's important, but we just want the neighborhood to be better than it is. It's already great, but if the gospel is good news, then the fact that we're there as gospel people, it ought to be good news to the neighbors, you know? And when you get like a gospel tract in your door, that's usually not good news to your pagan neighbor. It's like, oh, the pastor moved in, you know? So we want people to say, well, since they're doing that, like it's just got better. So we're praying into opportunities and realize one of the needs in our neighborhood was just ways for people to connect. All the neighbors loved each other. We just never see each other. There's no social rhythm. So we thought 4th of July, that's it. Since we moved in, I've always thought our neighborhood would be perfect for a parade. It's 51 houses. That's our mission field. And it's all in like a big racetrack. It's the neighborhood's like a big oval, right? With a couple circles. So I thought we need to have a 4th of July parade. And the group was all bought in. This is it. This is the way to meet our neighbors. This is the way to do it. So we start praying for the neighborhood together. Again, everyone uses their gift. And so uh, Bryn, our friend, put together a little flyer. All the kids prayed together and then went out and handed out the invitations. Someone made a next door app invitation. Some people, again, with um, administrative skills start to schedule the planning. Some people came and decorated. Some people called the fire department to get the fire trucks to lead the parade. Uh, other people, you know, set down or shut down the streets. We all worked together on this thing. And on July 8th, we had almost 100 people take part in this parade. Leave it there. That, so that, those are my kids on the back of my neighbor's wagon that I borrowed that I pulled with my trailer. There's Brian and Kim, some of our neighbors in the parade. And they keep going. Someone just had a train like in their garage. I don't even know. <laughs> we only got the word out like two days prior. And then they're just, oh, yeah, I got a train. You got a train? Yeah, I got a train. We'll just bring it. This guy, I love him. I don't even know what's going on. He put some weeds in a trailer. And... Uh, remember his name. Good guy. Fire truck shows up. Kids are playing in the sprinkler. We're having conversations with people. Uh, about a hundred people came and ate food and celebrated. At the end of the night, we had a bonfire in the middle of the circle. And uh, two of my friends from the city group are sharing their stories about how Jesus is at work in their life and how it's impacting their work environment and what they do while several other neighbors are listening on. Like, really? And it's like, God starts giving us traction. Two weeks later, I get to baptize Brian at the outdoor baptism gathering. He's sharing his testimony. And because he had relational equity in the neighborhood, because he'd shared his testimony, he got a whole bunch of neighbors to come and just root him on that day. 
So we've got half our neighborhood at the church. God is at work in this neighborhood, y'all. It's absolutely amazing. And so on any Sunday, we've got four families from our 51 family neighborhood that are coming here, and several others came, especially on the baptism week. And I I say that not because it's amazing, but it's a great story of a team effort. That was not one person who went into that neighborhood and said, I'm going to change it for Jesus Christ. That would have gotten really weird probably, you know. And none of that happened on a Sunday. None of, none of those people would have likely come here. That was us bringing the church to them and doing it as a team. Do you see how that works? The different members of the body coming together, each playing the role, and together we have our witness. And again, I think our greatest witness is our love for one another and the community that we have that people look in and are drawn to. So very practically, how do we do church? Sunday morning is very important. We have a very high view of the Bible. We want to teach it faithfully. Sunday mornings, we're going to worship Jesus. But guys, this is one half of the church, maybe the less important half. The other half of the church is when we scatter in the context of city groups. On any average Sunday in America, less than 20% um, of folks in our country are in any church of any stripe. The least likely to be here is males between 18 and 30. The average American church has plateaued or declined. The Sunday morning church gathering is quickly losing relevance in our world. How are we going to reach the city for Christ? It's going to be us going to them. The old motto of if you build it and they will come no longer works with the local church. It will be us as a team taking the church to the city. So I want to encourage everyone to be a part of a city group. This is not a religious, arduous burden. This is our opportunity to live out our role in the mission of God in very practical ways. Uh, By the way, we have group launch coming up on September 10th. Uh, That's where we launch all of our new groups from. So you can come, learn about the rhythms and things that we do. And uh, we hope to launch between five and 10 city groups, new ones this fall. So you can get involved in that. I'm out of time again. Let me end with this, City Light. What we have is an amazing opportunity to be used by God. And I don't want us to miss it. I think it's very possible to trust and love Jesus and yet kind of stiff arm the mission that he's invited us into because we're scared of it. What are they going to think? What am I going to say? But here's what I will say. It is God's gracious invitation to let us be used by him. As I look back on my life, some of the greatest treasures that I Enjoy are not things, but stories where I know God has used me in spite of me. I am a nerdy white kid from a small town in Nebraska with not a lot of gifts to offer, except I kind of talk good sometimes if I write out notes, (laughs) you know? And yet, I can look back and say, there were times overseas I've led someone to Christ and I will see them in heaven. There are people in my family that now know, love, and walk with Jesus. God's doing a work in our neighborhood in spite of me. And I can tie with a billion dollars and leave it behind. But investing in the kingdom of God, being invited into this mission, I'm going to die rich with the people that I get to see in heaven and church. That's the invitation for all of us. And so I also want to say, I am crazy proud of you guys. This is one of the more missional churches I've ever heard of. You guys sparked a church planning movement. Do you realize that? That's We've got churches that are planning churches, and that does not happen unless you guys are making disciples, living on mission, writing sacrificial checks, 
serving kids, serving faithfully. This fall, just this church, we baptized 60 people. That does not happen because two pastors got excited to tell people about Jesus. That happened because the body of Christ is committed to the mission of God and enjoying the grace that he has given to us in that. And I think this is only just the beginning. Amen? Are you with me? Listen this way. I want to respond by taking communion this morning. We do this every other week to remember the down, what Jesus has done for us. And in communion, we remember the greatest missionary, Jesus Christ, and the mission that he accomplished on our behalf. Listen to the instructions for communion out of 1 Corinthians 11. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, we're going to remember Jesus Christ and the cost of his mission. We're going to proclaim that until he returns to fulfill his ultimate mission. So if you are the benefactor of God's mission, if you have received his free grace of eternal life by trusting him in faith, you are welcome at the Lord's table. Uh, The communion servers will come forward. The band will lead us in singing and worship. Whenever you're ready, come forward. If you're new, the ushers break it for you. You grab it, dip it in the juice, partake that way. Head back to your seats. If you have any food allergies... We have a special station in the back. Additionally, we have a team of prayer volunteers in the back. If uh, the Lord is stirring in your heart, if there's anything you would love to receive prayer for or pray with someone about, uh, they would love to pray with you in the back. And so let's begin our time with prayer. Jesus, we are so thankful, number one, that you are a missionary God because it took a, a big hero to save people like us. We were dead in our sins, disinterested in God, And yet you came by your grace and softened our hearts to believe. We couldn't have even believed if you hadn't come and rescued us and resurrected our hearts. And then, God, you choose the least likely to be your team, to send your gospel into the world. So can I just say thank you that you would use nobodies from nowhere to rewrite eternal history. And, God, that's our desire as a church. We don't want to be a cool Christian club. We don't want to huddle up and stay safe from the culture. We want to be your hands and your feet. We realize we are your sent ones. We thank you for that grace, and we pray for your empowering grace to do that well in our generation. We pray in Jesus' good name.